0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I want to look today at the Colossians 2 passage that we read, first passage in your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, you can turn there. If you have a Bible, you can certainly turn there and follow along with me in Colossians chapter 2. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, I had some really awkward moments growing up, particularly in the middle school days, uh, trying to figure out who I was, where I fit in, what were the right clothes to wear, what were the right words to say. I think most of us uh, who've been through middle school couldn't articulate the process at the time. You You couldn't explain what was going on. You just knew there was a bit of an awkwardness for those of you who might still be in middle school today. Trust me, you'll figure it out eventually. Um, But you do begin to ask those questions. Where do I fit in? What do I like to do? What is my style? Who are my friends? I grew up in a very small elementary school and middle school combined in the backwoods of Alabama, North Alabama. We had one sport that you could play when you were in elementary or middle school, and that was basketball. If you wanted to play for the for the uh, school, you had to play basketball. You could certainly do rec league stuff if you wanted to, but if you really wanted to be in the cool crowd in middle school, you played basketball. And so naturally, I wanted to be part of the cool crowd, and I tried to play. I, I played basketball. And if you really wanted to be cool, of course, you watched all the NBA stars, and uh, my favorite was a guy by the name of Spud Webb, who was five foot six and could dunk a basketball. And I thought, "There's hope for me. I can do this." And so in middle school, I tried and tried and tried, even in high school, I tried and tried, to fit in by being good at basketball and really wanting to, to dunk a basketball. By the way, never got there, never did it. Uh, it, it was a, a fleeting hope. But nonetheless, uh, there, there's this idea of wanting to fit in. Where did I fit in? There's an understanding of old that the identity issues somewhat fade as you go to college and move into adult life. I don't think that's necessarily the case. As we look around the culture today, I think we are, in fact, in an identity crisis. What group do I belong with? How do I want to be known? What is my social status? These are the things I believe we wrestle with most of our lives. Why? Because deep down, we want to belong. We all want to belong somewhere. Belonging represents relationship and acceptance and love and being known. I believe that never goes away. And it's what Paul speaks of directly to the church in Colossians today. Paul is reminding us of our ultimate identity. unless we can, and, and we can be honest in saying that we, we find our identity oftentimes in the things that I've just mentioned. Our soul identity should come in Christ. And so if it doesn't today, if yours doesn't today, if you struggle with that today, this is going to step on your toes a bit. It steps on mine every time I read this, because I have to find and really evaluate where my identity lies. We're all guilty of it. I stand here guilty today. In the day of the Colossian church, Paul is warning them, first and foremost, against Gnosticism. You read here in the very beginnings uh, in chapter 2, starting in verse 6, actually in verse 8, where he addresses this idea of being taken captive by other things. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. He's addressing head-on this identity issue of being in Christ versus being in the world. Gnosticism distinguished between a remote and unknowable divinity and that that divinity descended in some way from the former who was imperfect an imperfect creator, and the ruler of the world in his imperfect creation. And some individuals, however, possessed a spark of divine spiritual substance, and these might hope by correct observance in this world to return to divinity after death. That was the, that was the present day thinking that was being challenged by Paul that we somehow could be divinity, that we somehow could find our identity in ourselves enough that we could be who we think we need to be. And that even Gnosticism would say a redeemer might have been sent and it might have been Jesus. And so there's this mixture of theology that's going on when Paul begins to speak to the church in Colossae. And notice what Paul does is he warns against this false doctrine. By taking us to the root of our salvation, did you catch it in all the reading? There was a familiar phrase there: "In him." He says it over and over and over. "In him, in him, in him." The entire book of Colossians says, "In him." I'll take you just quickly, starting in verse uh, chapter one, verse 16, "In whom we have redemption." Verse 19 of chapter 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 22 in chapter 1, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 2, 6 and 7, you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in him in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 9, our fullness dwells in him. Verse 10, we've been filled in him who is the bread. Verse 11, circumcised in him. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, raised in him through faith. Verse 15 of chapter 2, triumphing over rulers and authorities in him. If you go on, chapter 3 keeps going. Paul is driving home the point we've died and our life is hidden in christ in god verse 17 of chapter 3 whatever you do in word or deed do everything in him in the name of the lord jesus and then in chapter 4 the ministry that you've received in him so paul's getting to the point here and he's directly flying in the face of gnosticism and saying this is what our identity looks like That it's in Christ. Now something you miss in some of the translations from the Greek language to the English language, especially in this rooted up, built up, strengthened in faith that's part of our section today, is that there's a a different tense here that we don't have. Rooted is a Greek aorist tense, which means a once and for all planting of the Christian in Christ, in Jesus. It's done. It's complete. Built up is a present tense indicating continual growth in Christ and then strengthened in faith, which could in fact have a couple of indications, but the most logical being to become stronger as you grasp the faith. The constant reminder of being in the Lord or in Christ as the identity marker of who we are is what Paul's trying to get across to the church there and the church today. You put them all together and you have Paul encouraging them to remember how they are in Christ once and for all through their baptism, which we see later on in the sections that we read today. They should experience continual growth or building up in the faith and then become strong in that faith so that they may not be persuaded by teachings other than the scriptures. This is a real problem, I think, for believers today, for Christians today, is we feel that because of our political pressure or our cultural pressure, or even our family pressure, or even our church pressures, that we have to find our identity in something other than Jesus. And we've fallen for it, but we don't have to. Because when we fall for it, in trying to find and establish my identity outside of Christ, I become an idolater. Because I make the thing that I want to be known for, known as More important than I want to make Christ known. I'll be defined by the neighborhood I live in. Or the car I drive. Or the sport I play. The school I attend. You get the picture. But when God calls us to give up those things that we've found our identity in, we struggle because they have become who we are. I am this job. I am this car. I am this you fill in the blank. And so it draws us to repentance. When we find ourselves putting our identity in something other than in him, then I think Paul is very clear in saying we have to repent of that because it's in Christ that we find our true identity. The book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, has a, a great little section in it that I love, and I've used it several times in sermons, but I just I keep going back to it because it's one of my favorites. Lewis tells the story of a busload of people who travel to heaven on their way to take residence in hell. And these people appear thin and almost ghost-like in the robust atmosphere of heaven. And most of them immediately flee back to the comfort of the bus instead of gazing upon the heavenlies. But one ghost, who is plagued by this talkative red lizard on his shoulder... The lizard of course represents the power of sin and lust that sits on his shoulder. It ventures out into the plains of heaven and encounters an angel. Lewis describes their meeting like this, and I'll just read just a little section of it, which is a parable of God's invitation to break the power of sin in our own life. A mighty angel approached the man and asked, "What would you like me to make? Would you like for me to make the lizard quiet?" Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ooh, ooh, look out. You're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Well, don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel. Shall I kill it? Look, it's gone to sleep on its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much anyway. May I kill it, the angel says. Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day, the angel replies. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so, says the angel. Why, you're hurting me now, says the ghost. I never said I wouldn't hurt you. I said I wouldn't kill you. Suddenly, the lizard began chattering loudly. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do that again, says the lizard. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. You're right, it would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may, said the angel. Blast you go, can't you get it over with, bellowed the ghost. But ended whimperingly, God help me, God help me. The next moment the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I'd never heard. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it, While it bit and writhed and then flung it, broken back onto the turf. Then I saw unmistakably, solid but growing ever more, ever moment solider, the ghost materialized into a man, not much smaller than the angel. At the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed so far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger, As it struggled, and as it grew, it changed. Suddenly I stared back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I have ever seen, silvery white, but with mane and tail of gold. The man, now free from his torment, climbed upon the stallion that had been his sin and rode into the glowing sunrise towards the Savior. Back to the text for today, we see this sinful idolatry of identity in something other than Christ. And then Christ really having ownership over us, giving us our identity. Paul uses these words in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also You were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. God historically in scripture marked his people through the outward sign of circumcision. He marked Israel, his people, with the sign of the covenant. The big debate in Paul's day was whether a man had to convert to Judaism and be circumcised in order to follow Jesus in that day. And Paul was pretty emphatic that he was against this idea. Paul is saying here that God has now circumcised the heart. It's a different kind of circumcision. There's no longer an external marking, but an internal heart transplant from stone to flesh transformation. Why is this so important? Is it biblically, God is the one doing the drawing in your heart through the Spirit? Your heart, eyes, and mind are opened by the Spirit of God, by the providence of God, not because you have some intrinsic beauty that God is after, but He is making you new. He is giving you your identity. The point can be made very easily by looking at the original calling of the nation of Israel. You remember the story, right? He chose Israel. He frees them from slavery out of the Egyptians' hands. He makes a covenant with them through circumcision. And he tells them to go and possess the land of Canaan. And look what he tells them after as he's talking to them about the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, I'll read just a few verses. It says, Do not say in your heart, After the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or your uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to his fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. How about that for a word of encouragement, right? The Lord says, hey, I want you to go possess the land, and by the way, it's not because of you. You're not gonna be able to do anything. In fact, you guys are just stubborn. Y'all haven't done anything that I've asked you to do well yet. Yet you're my chosen people. And I'm going to give you the land. Why am I going to give it to you? Because I'm God and I love you. I'm going to give you this identity, Israel. He's saying this because it's because of him that he's doing these things, not because of the goodness that they possess or their righteousness, for they have none. So what we need to meditate on and think on today when it comes to our identity is that God has called us, wooed us to himself, opening our eyes to the glory of his name and given us affection for him and a mind that longs for him. There's a circumcision of the heart that gives me a new identity. I'm now West Sharp, son of God. That's my new identity. That's who I am. I'm not West Sharp, pale white guy. I'm not West Sharp pastor, musician, husband, or father. I am all those things, but that is not my identity. It is not what makes me who I am. It is not what I can wrap myself up in. I am defined by in him, in him. So this morning, I ask you that question. What identity have you allowed to consume you that is other than him? What identity do you need to repent of today that has taken the place of just being in him? There's so much more in this passage that we could talk about. But I want to close with this one last thing. And I just want to read the passage to you again in verses 12 through 14. It's the guarantee to us through Jesus. The guarantee that you can rest this morning in him as his own. Because of what he's done in you not because of what we can do. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the beauty of the gospel this morning, is that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ came for us. And he gave us this new identity. And he took the old and he nailed it to the cross. But so often we try to pick it back up. And that's who we want to be. I want to be identified as that instead of in Christ. I think the Lord's calling us to repent this morning. What is it that you need to lay down? What is it that you need to say, I don't want to be that anymore. I need Christ to be in me and I in him. Let us pray. Jesus, in the same way that we've been buried with you in baptism, we are raised with you through the resurrection. Father, today we repent. We repent where we've put other things in the place of that. We repent where we've replaced the truth of the gospel with the identity that comes that the world wants to feed us each and every day. Or would you help us to put those things before the cross, nailing them to the cross so that we may find our identity only in you and that we may live into that identity each day? We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.